0: Welcome to the Don Pravda and Erica Gray Show, The Twist. Welcome to the Don Pravda and Erica Gray Show. Hello, Don.
1: And good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome.
0: Don, a major happening with Israel. Well, if you want to call Zelensky going publicly and stating that he doesn't feel that Israel is doing enough, what's your opinion of that?
1: Opinion is uh, Mr. Bennett is in communication, the Prime Minister of Israel with Mr. Zelensky. Zelensky wants at this time humanitarian aid and arms from Israel. And he would like some technical help concerning the Iron Dome. So he has his agenda, uh, as you know, that the Prime Minister Zelensky is Jewish. There are thousands of Ukrainians in Israel. And now something interesting developing is that as many as 50,000 Jews from the Ukraine may possibly be leaving and going to Israel. So right now they have a lot to say to each other. They have concerns. The prime minister of the Ukraine is very aggressive in seeking his needs at this time, and he feels these times are unprecedented. He's quoting World War II about Nazi aggression, and that certain people were not for the war in the beginning against Hitler. And he's clearly telling us that it could be another situation if he does not get the help that he requires, that his own nation could be conquered, and that would be an ultimate disaster for the region
0: what's your opinion on his feeling that Israel is not doing enough and not providing enough arms? It seems to me that he's really playing on public opinion because public opinion is so in favor of the Ukrainian citizens and so anti-Russia. He's made the plea to the European Union to become a member literally overnight, which they can't do. That's against their laws on how— members can, or nations can become members of the EU. So they have to follow the protocol. But he had expected that that protocol would be waived. He felt that NATO should be involved, that the U.S. should be doing more, sending troops. And now this appeal to Israel, and he seems to have a lot of these appeals to different countries. But I was surprised because I understand from talking to you why Israel Israel is taking a more neutral position because of the protection of the Jews in Russia. You were stating that there was like 200 centers?
1: Over 200 centers, Jewish centers across the Russias. That includes schools and synagogues. And sort of in the, I am informed, sort of in the realm of the JCC movement, there are gyms and classes and community there with deep roots by the way. The conflict becomes one that's a a simple story, which I'd like to relate to you. In the Ukraine, there's a Rabbi Joseph Sherkosky. Rabbi Sherkosky is a very good man. He's 52 years old. His son, David, the love of his life is 20. Right now, both father and son are holding automatic weapons. They are within a division of Ukrainian forces. They feel their nation is their nation. And in fact, they know that they should prepare for an enemy. The problem is, right now, these people don't have a business to go back to. They're full-time in the army. Listening to the photographer the other day, Patty Levine, she clearly said the saddest thing to see in this place is, is that the people, by the millions, are packing it up. Their babies are in their arms. They're putting what little they can place in bags and then they start walking towards borders such as the Polish border which is the most desirable or possibly the Romanian or Moldavian border so right now there's a lot of frightening information kiev has been bombed people are leaving by the millions the world is waiting what is next and may it be may it be a meeting which could possibly happen soon whether it's in israel or belarus or alaska these groups can get together and they can make peace if they want to. And now, with as the, Mr. Pte noticed, his stock market failing, rubles have less value, the economy is being imploded, more sanctions are coming. It might be time, Mr. Putin, just come to the table, start point by point, let's find a middle, some compromises, and let's get out of war, sir. And you'll have many supporters in this country who will agree with you that it's the best step towards a peaceful solution.
0: But you're sounding as if Russia is going to concede. And why would Russia concede? When it drew its line in the sand, it made very clear what it was asking for. Yes. And Zelensky isn't meeting even the smaller concessions that Russia is asking for. I don't think Russia is going to concede.
1: Well, Russia now is flexing its muscles. It is an empire. You might have noted the 60,000 people at the speech by Vladimir Putin. He was obviously praised. The crowd totally in for their leader, the prime minister. And there's a lot of different sensibilities working out. However, s- since the 7th century, Ukrainians and Russians have been together. They're not foreign entities. They know each other. And a lot of possibilities can happen in this time. But I think what I'm getting at a little bit early, do you really want common people in the Ukraine, like the rabbi that I just quoted, who's left his business? He has brought in his 20-year-old son to fight. And you know something? One of those days, these gentlemen in the Jewish community are talking about leaving for Israel. What we need is stability. We need common decency and kindness We need exchanges of ideas. This could happen because the alternative would be a scorched earth policy where almost all of the Ukraine, particularly the cities, will be destroyed. And I can't see how this could possibly be positive.
0: But this is more than just about peace. It's much more than that. It's a land grab. It's a money grab. For instance, Brussels Morning reported that for three consecutive months now, US LNG exporters have registered record exports to the EU at premium prices that continue to grow. This was reported by Reuters. And with the US selling gas right now to Europe at premium prices, I heard another report that basically stated that it's helping to keep the U.S. economy afloat. So with this occurring, the U.S. is not going to influence Zelensky to end this war or to concede to any of Russia's demands. As a matter of fact, it's in the U.S. interest that this continues or that Ukraine does not concede at all to any of Russia's demands, which doesn't make sense because you're seeing all these images of all the people that are being bombed. And yet, as another contradiction, the U.S. is sending more and more arms to Ukraine. And if you don't want the war and the bloodshed, why are you sending more arms? Why are you not having Ukraine concede and give Russia that's one demand of staying out of NATO? And he had another demand concerning the various regions and the, the Russian language still being able to be taught. Why not give in to those demands? What's the big issue? Well, the big issue is the European Union, even though they Turned down Zelensky on immediate membership. Seventy percent of legislation has been enacted through their association agreement, and they have a major trade pact with the Ukraine, and it's helping to boost the European Union's GDP. And then you have the U.S. with gas, and so this conflict with Russia is helping to boost the GDP, in a sense, for the United States, or a percentage of the GDP, even though we're taking a hit with gas prices and inflation, but it seems that this is going to keep going. There is going to be no concession because Zelensky don't think that with the deals that the U.S. politicians have in the Ukraine, that Zelensky's not aware of that. And in the meantime, you have the U.S. acting like a control freak, And it's funny, if you look at WebMD's characteristics of signs of controlling behavior, you see U.S. foreign policy. First sign, they insist on having their own way. That's the United States. They refuse to accept blame. That's the United States. Need to be the center of attention. They lie. They're unpredictable. They want to be in charge of finances. There you go. Sanction policy so that we can profit. And so there's a lot more going on, Don, behind the scenes Mm -hmm. that is so ugly and so evil. It's under the guise of democracy. Then you have the U.S. media. My perspective is always global. So I look at each of the empires and I look at the geopolitics from a global perspective. And I know from a global perspective that what's written across the Atlantic or what's written in India or even from China or from Russia, it all differs based on the various viewpoints. But from that perspective, you begin to see, when you glance at the U.S. media, for instance, I have a email on Yahoo, so I go right to the homepage, and a lot of Yahoo's headlines sound like they're literally written by 8th graders, probably people that are just out of college or still in college, it just sounds at that level because it all sounds the same. And it's all this major blame on Russia, on Putin, failing to recognize the many wars of the United States since the end of the Cold War failing to recognize the thousands that have been murdered in U.S. wars, who have been areas that have been bombed with women and children, the sanction policy that has starved many a nation, and now we're starving Russians. It just seems that there's just so many contradictions and, frankly, I don't know why the United States is so bent on this because right now what's happening is you have boomerang sanctions, meaning they're coming back and hurting US citizens, but you also have a major division now happening in the globe, where you have the European Union teaming with the U.S. and Canada and the U.K., so you have those nations or those empires, and then you have Russia, China, India, and I believe Argentina, and other nations as well that are part of the other side, and there's a real division now happening in the globe, and you're getting even a split, and Russia is letting it be known they're not being hurt by the The sanction policy, but it's splitting the globe. It's splitting the financial world system. And we don't yet know what the outcome is going to be from all of this. What's the outcome going to be from these sanctions? What's the outcome going to be? And, And the initial outcome as the world now divides into two separate regions that operate independently. Your thoughts, Don?
1: Well, here's reaction to Putin's aggression. The ruble has cratered, the stock market froze, the Putin sanctions are much more stricter than those in the past. And uh, a lot of the world thinks that the days were over when one mighty nation could go into another sovereign nation and attempt to grab it and make it part of their empire. But as we're learning, it's not over. Uh, Mighty Russia wants Ukraine and it's- But I don't
0: see it just grabbing it to make it part of its empire. Yes, to an extent. But there were real issues there since about two thousand six and seven that have been disputed. There have been lines drawn in the sand, and it all has had to do with NATO expansion. NATO's had five expansions, keeps expanding closer and closer to Russia, and then Ukraine voicing, and that seemed to be that the association agreement in twenty fourteen with the European Union, the puppet government that was installed by the United States and the There also is, no matter how much the media wants to downplay it, there is a right-wing faction in the Ukraine. An article was actually written in the Hindu Today called the Azov Battalion, the Neo-Nazis of Ukraine. Now, they were pretty strong at one point. Not sure of the status at the moment. But according to this article, they are a real force within Ukraine. So it's not just all steam that Putin is blowing over the neo-Nazis that are in the Ukraine. Any comments there?
1: Well, we're quite aware that this organization does have many neo-Nazis. I cannot put every person in Azov and expressed that they are Nazis. However, they carry their beliefs with them. They have been around for a long time. They are a group to be feared, and I am certain Mr. Putin does fear them and does know them. There is a past from the Ukraine, World War II, where the Nazis collaborated with Ukrainian guerrillas, and it ultimately led against the Jewish people who were murdered. There's many different stories and histories between these two, but the main thing right now is to try and get together and stop this war and do it in a very mature way. And that's going to take many steps, many months, perhaps years, but we have to stop this bombing and this killing. And wouldn't it be wonderful to bring back around 3 million refugees returning to their home country? Wouldn't that be glorious?
0: But how is that going to happen, Don, when so much money is involved, when the U.S. has so much money at stake in this war Actually, continuing. Well, it's going to end up where Russia will eventually destroy all of Ukraine,
1: or the other story already being discussed: they conquer the Ukraine, but upon starting a government, how about the rebellion in this in this country against the Russians marching in? How about riots, demonstrations? There's likely to be food shortages. There's likely to be many militias around the nation who would form and strike against Putin after this new government emerges.
0: You got a good point there, That's a good possibility. Yeah. But back yeah. to Zelensky with Israel, very interesting that he would want Israel to take more of a part in the fighting when Israel really is trying to remain neutral. And what's your position on that? What do you feel Israel should do at this point?
1: Israel a very small country in the Middle East, has an ally in Vladimir Putin. And when you come right down to it, he has protected, for instance, over 22 Lubavitch Jewish centers of learning, schools and yeshiva, perhaps even community centers through Lubavitch, 200 plus. He has established very good relationships with churches, in particular the Russian Orthodox Church. Therefore, he is respecting religious liberty. That would continue. There'd be no change in that. There's some worry within our own Jewish community once the fighting ends one day in the Ukraine that the Ukrainian citizens might be looking for a scapegoat. Perhaps the Jews have something to fear. But I mentioned there's brave people like the rabbi fighting with his son. Jews are staying They are fighting for their country. There's a lot of intrigue that's going to come to this area. And may it be a decent compromise. We don't want people being killed. We want people living well.
0: Well, how about, too, Biden going to China and basically threatening China that if China offered any help to Russia, the US would then sanction China or China would face consequences. We are really the bully on the globe. I mean, we are just a control freak. You know, one thing about Biden is he was known to be a foreign policy rock star because the reason that Obama had him as vice president was because he was a foreign policy rock star. And I saw his acumen in foreign policy early on with decisions that he was making. But concerning Russia, I don't view him as skilled in foreign policy as I thought he was. Because at the end of the day, if you look at this, there was no real sitting down with Putin. There was, there was no concession. We had expectations on Russia that we didn't even expect for ourselves, that if Russia had violated, we would have been the first to scream about it, which we did with the Cuban Missile Crisis, which was an exact scenario. It just seems that our foreign policy is just so convoluted, and the only thing that can explain it is money And deals that these politicians must have to not want to sit down, not want to make peace. Why would you not want better relations with Russia? Why would you not want a trade pact with that economy? Which, by the way, talk about trade pacts. The European Union has 84 pacts. And a bunch of years ago, when the EU was starting to form numerous, numerous pacts, including its own union. I remember then there was NAFTA. The U.S. followed suit in NAFTA. Remember when NAFTA first?
1: Yes. Uh, I remember being at a press conference with Henry Kissinger in the 1990s concerning NAFTA. The, uh, the fear actually was that jobs would leave our country and may end up in Mexico, but you can toss a coin, as your belief, with NAFTA. It was never particularly effective or helpful for the United States. It got a tremendous amount of publicity during the Clinton years and through the likes of folks like uh, Henry Kissinger and uh, major United States senators who were on board.
0: You interviewed Kissinger. What did he I, have to say at the time about NAFTA?
1: Uh, Henry Kissinger was consistent with the government's policy that he thought it would create a better economy for the U.S., create more jobs, and it would be very well organized. And I'd have to guess that he he might have been disappointed about that matter. Kissinger said that this is a good policy for America and that we must proceed and save jobs, and this will help the United States... In its flow and ebb of economy will succeed.
0: Well, I felt at the time that what they were doing was they were following suit with what the European Union was doing. So NAFTA was the agreement. And as of today, the U.S. has 20 agreements to the European Union's 84 agreements. And by the way, their agreements are still growing. So that is actually it. We are out of time for tonight's show, Don.
1: Outstanding. Any
0: final words?
1: Well, tune us in next week because the world is changing day by day and we are here.
0: And meanwhile, folks, till next time, God bless. Tune in next time for more from Don Provder and Erica Gray for their twist on world news.